Have you ever heard about the term social engineering? I bet you did. It's a tactic used by scammers to manipulate people into revealing sensitive information, performing actions, or taking risks that they would not otherwise take. Social engineering is often used in online scams, where scammers use various tactics to gain access to personal information, financial data, or computer systems. And most recently, these criminals have perfected the dark art of social engineering to get people to transfer their own money to cyber criminals with a whole slew of stories and manipulations. Scam Rangers, a podcast about the human side of fraud and the people who are on a mission to protect us. I'm your host, Ayelet Bigger-Levine, and I'm passionate about driving awareness and solving this problem. Welcome to episode 11 of Scam Rangers. Today we'll talk about the dark art of social engineering. In the previous episode, we talked about the scam life cycle. I'll briefly repeat it for some context. So in the scam life cycle, really we describe the life cycle from the victim's perspective. So initially the victim receives a text message or something via WhatsApp, Instagram, any social platform, or maybe a phone call. And then the victim responds by calling back or replying or clicking a link or doing something active. At this point in time, the victim is put into an emotional state of fear or delight. This is the third step. Then they transfer the money, once they're convinced, to the scammer via payment rails that they agree upon. It could be P2P payment, it could be a check, it could be an ACH or wire transfer, a gift card, whatever they agree on. The fifth step is that they realize they've been scammed and they potentially report to their bank or to law enforcement and recovery may start at that point, may not. And that leaves them, of course, with potentially getting some money back, not getting the money back, and definitely being emotionally impacted by the scam as well as financially. In today's episode, we'll focus on the first three steps, which are the reach out to the victim, the responding, and then the manipulation. And we'll really focus in to understand how social engineering happens and most importantly, why it can happen to anyone. We'll focus today on stories that we heard from guests in previous episodes, and we'll analyze them to understand what exactly happened, dive into how the criminals manage to manipulate victims and why this can happen to virtually anyone, no matter their age, origin, level of education, or economic status. But first, let's start with the definition of what social engineering is and how it impacts our brain, really. So social engineering is a tactic that's used by individuals or organizations to manipulate people into providing confidential information or taking certain actions that will benefit the attacker. The psychology of social engineering involves understanding how people make decisions and how emotions can override logical thinking. So what really happens in our brain? In our brain, the prefrontal cortex is part of the brain that's responsible for decision-making, planning, and problem-solving. However, when we experience strong emotions such as fear or excitement, and we all know that there's most likely no stronger positive feeling than connection and falling in love, the amygdala, which is responsible for processing emotions, can hijack our decision-making process and cause us to make impulsive or irrational decisions, also known as fight or flight. Social engineers 
use these techniques to trigger emotional responses to distract people from analyzing situations logically. For example, they may create a sense of urgency or use fear tactics to make people act quickly without thinking through the consequences. They may also use flattery or appeal to people's desire to help others to gain trust and cooperation. And we've seen many scams that people who are being reached out by random strangers, like the wrong number scams that could eventually lead into investment scams, are really just trying to help the person who reached out to them by mistake. So definitely using that desire to help is, is part of the manipulation. Social engineers may also use cognitive biases to their advantage. We've seen the authority bias. In the case of uh, gift card scams, for example, when um, in this scenario, someone will receive a text message from their boss or the CEO of the company. And we've seen that criminals do some research to actually understand where the individual is working. They get their phone number. Maybe it's from uh, LinkedIn Premium or Breaches or something like that. And they connect the dots to see who works with who. And then they impersonate the colleague, either it's a boss or the CEO, to ask the employee to go and buy gift cards because they want to throw a party or they want to give it to a customer and they can't right now. So they impersonate that person and ask them to go and buy gift cards. Now, when your boss asks you to do something or when the CEO reaches out to you, you feel kind of pride. Oh, they chose me or I have to do this. And that kind of manipulation really resonates to the extent that these scams are so successful that gift card companies are now concerned about the impact of that on, on the success of the future of gift cards. Another example of authority is the IRS scams, where people are called and told that they owe money to the IRS, that their accounts are on hold, and that goes down a rabbit hole of scaring. I can share that a few years ago, this was 2014 or 2015, I got a robocall saying this is a call from the IRS, and I knew it was a scam, but I just wanted to learn the mode of operation. So I kind of pressed one, got to the officer who had an accent, but used a very American name and was telling me that I owe money to the IRS. As for my details, I gave fake information. So fake first name, last name, fake address, completely different state. And this person told me that I have a hold on my account because I have some charges that don't make sense and I owe money. And then I said, this doesn't make sense. Um, I should be fine. And then they started scaring me more and more, telling me that the FBI is on their way to my house to arrest me for drug smuggling and all these things that, of course, I didn't even give them the right address. But suddenly I freaked out that they have my phone number. So I concluded the conversation. But their tactics, are, I can say, are very, very effective. And even knowing that this is a scam and knowing that I gave fake information, my heartbeat went up. Another example of authority is the grandparent scam. And in this scenario, which typically targets older people, the scammer poses as the police calling to tell a grandparent that their grandchild or another relative is in distress. They typically contact the victim by phone and they put the grandchild, quote unquote grandchild, who's crying on the phone and that's why their voice is not what the grandparent expects, and the child asks for money to get them out of the difficult situation, such as pay the bail or get them out of a car accident or something urgent, and please don't call my parents, they're going to kill me. And 
this is really successful because it preys on the emotions of the victims. They are caring for their loved ones. They're more susceptible for this type of scam because they're trusting of the family members and obviously might not be familiar with these types of scams. In a previous episode, I talked to Seth Rudin, who is a certified fraud examiner and a former leader of fraud strategy at First Tech Federal Credit Union. And I asked him to share a few stories of scam cases that came across his desk. It's frequent and consistent. You might have a, uh, an individual who's contacted via email or they, have a, they get a text message that says their account's been frozen or that they've had a action placed or they're not going to receive their goods or a package is delayed. And those individuals, they take the bait. They, they make the phone call, they click the button, and they're brought to an individual who tells them that they need to start taking specific actions. And that's going to be highly dependent on, on what the individual's vulnerability is, if they give access to a online banking session, or if their device does not allow for that. It's going to be highly dependent on the, the flow of the event. So let's say that an elderly gentleman has not been able to give access to that individual, but the individual, the social engineer is telling them, look, we overpaid you. You might be able to see that, that there's been changes in your account balance. What I need you to do right now is head on down to a pharmacy or a grocery store and pick up some prepaid debit cards and send those to me so that I can get the account balance correct. And once that happens, then suddenly I'm going to be able to resolve this imbalance and, and my job won't be terminated and my family won't go hungry. That's so very consistent. In this kind of scam, the criminal will orchestrate a situation where too much money was transferred to the victim, allegedly or by mistake, and that will impact their job. So for example, if this is a bank impersonation scam and the bank, quote unquote, transferred too much money back to the user, one example of how the scam can happen is if the victim granted access to the criminal to their device and allowed them to take control and log into their bank account. And then they're showing the victim that they're repaying them or they're transferring money to the victim, but they added another zero by mistake. And now the victim needs to rectify this and they can't be done through the system. It has to be done in another way. And they have to repay the bank or they have to repay the criminal in some way and they feel bad because a criminal says to them, oh my God, you just added another zero. So, oh, oh, I have to now repay my boss because if I don't, they'll fire me and then my family will be hungry. They create this state of distress where the victim, who's a good person, feels bad and wants to rectify the situation and they can see in their bank account that they have too many zeros. There's a YouTuber who does scam baiting called Kit Boga. I'll put a link in the show description. And you can see there how he creates a situation. He, he impersonates an old lady being scammed, but he creates a situation where he shows that they add, they take over the victim's device and then they add a zero and then they say, oh my God, you have to give me the money back. I'm going to lose my job. So that's really preying on the willing to rectify situations and to do well. And here's another story we heard from Seth. But it could be even more malicious where an individual says, look, I'm, I'm your son or daughter. I live over in a country that, that you've had exposure to or you've got a relationship with. 
and I'm in an emergency and I need you to send me a, a large sum of money to get me out of the hospital and I need you to wire this immediately. Those are, those are consistent uh, episodes as well. And it's going to take whatever pathway that appears to be the least friction prone for the attacker and, and get them the best yield possible. It's always an economics game. If I see that the doors are closing, I'll go for the smaller amount and use the more reliable way to get there. But if I smell an opportunity for a significant payday, then I might take the risk as the social engineer and attempt to uh, realize a, a better outcome for my nefarious deeds. This makes me wonder, since I heard about ChatGPT and started using it, I always think about how now cyber criminals can use it, even if they're not fluent in English, to really create good initial messages to scam people. And the question is, could they create a whole conversation? Potentially they can, but do they have the level of sophistication that's required to smell those closing doors, to understand the situation and to respond accordingly? So the good news is for people, ChatGPT will likely not replace humans because those nuances are going to be hard. And maybe it's good news that it will not be able to automate things for scammers, but definitely will be able to help them. They need to become really good AI prompters to leverage ChatGPT to continue in scamming people. What Seth said about really navigating and understanding the current situation, where is the emotional state of the user? In the grandparent scam or the relative scam that he talks about, I often hear, well, why didn't they just call their relative? Or they thought they'd just talk to the relative. Why would they call them? It's that irrational thinking that causes us to ignore all the red flags on the way. Next, I talked to Chris Salgado, who is a private investigator and CEO of All Point Investigations. And he explained how the criminals slowly, slowly start the manipulation. They don't come across very strong at the beginning. They ease their way into the emotional manipulation. The conversations usually usually start off lightheartedly, you know, on whatever social media platform you want to pick, you know, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to be your connection. Hope you're having a good day. Something like that. Super lighthearted. You assess they're not a threat. You ingest them as your social, your social circle online, right? And then they'll start talking to you. Hey, notice you like, I don't know, dogs or notice you lost your husband or your wife recently. I'm sorry to hear. And it's always mirrored. It's always mirrored. You know, I lost my significant other six months ago or, yeah, my dog died recently. It's, it's, it's mirrored to gain a level of familiarity with you and gain a sense of trust on a surface level because it's a very new conversation. Right. But it grows quickly from there. And we've all heard the stories, you know, hey, I, you know, I think you're great. I love your picture. I think you're very beautiful and so forth like that. They don't have a lot of time to invest before they start asking you money for money, but they do invest a decent amount of time because they know that the return can be significant. Chris talked about a really important concept, mirroring. Mirroring in social engineering refers to the act of mimicking or reflecting the behavior, the attitudes, the speech patterns, the interests, the hobbies, shared experience or situations of a target or a victim in order to build rapport, trust, and ultimately manipulate the victim into revealing sensitive information or complying with a request. Mirroring can take many forms, such as using familiar words or phrases, expressing agreement with a target, and their opinions or their beliefs and creating a sense of shared circumstances. 
And by doing that, the social engineer creates a sense of familiarity, like Chris said, and camaraderie with the target, making them more likely to let their guard down and share information that they might have not otherwise or do things in the name of the relationship. And that's a common technique used by social engineers because it can be very, very effective in building trust very quickly and establishing a connection with a target. Next, I talked to Matt Friedman, who is the CEO of the Mekong Club and an expert in human trafficking. We talked about a really interesting form of social engineering. In this scenario, the social engineering is not performed for financial scam gain. It's performed in order to scam people out of their freedom. And what happens in the situation that happens in Cambodia and a few other countries in Southeast Asia is really related to financial scams. And he describes a situation where criminals have figured out that the pig butchering or, or crypto investment scams are extremely effective. But in order to scale, they need more people to perform the scams. But they couldn't find enough criminals who were willing to participate. So what they did instead is they scammed people into coming to Cambodia, and then they trafficked them and locked them up and forced them into scamming other people. So he describes how they did it. And it's exactly the same tactics that are used, such as relationship scams or fake job scams, to get people to come over, to build that trust and get people to come over to Cambodia. So they had this idea, let's trick and deceive, you know, educated people who now know how to use computers and social networking to come to Cambodia. And then once they're there, we'll just take them out of the system, put them in a in a facility that has high walls and barbed wire and, you know, a uh, thousand people working in the same building and just force them to, to scam. And so what they would do in social networking is either a love kind of scenario where uh, an attractive Asian woman would basically fall in love with uh, one of these people and say, I want to meet you personally, let's go to Cambodia. And once they get there, they're picked up in the van and taken away to this, or they are promised some kind of a job, 5,000 US dollars a month in a casino or a hotel or restaurant or whatever. For a young person just getting out of college, that's good money. It gets an opportunity to kind of see the world, to get out of Hong Kong or Taiwan or these other locations. As a result of this, they would actually go down uh, after job interviews and discussions, and it sounded like it was totally legit. But once they get there, they're basically put into one of these facilities. What they came to realize is the only way to really get them to um, to achieve their goals is to create fear. So one of the things I've been wondering about is what is the difference in emotional manipulation between short-term online scams with time bombs, like the account lockout scam, advanced fee scam, delivery scams, and the longer scams like romance scams or investment scams. And I think the difference between these different types of scams lies in the duration and intensity of the emotional manipulation. Short-term online scams typically rely on creating a sense of urgency or fear in the victim and using time-based triggers, like your account is going to be locked out within 24 hours, or if you don't take action now, you'll be you know, immediately shut out of Netflix or whatever. And to, there are deadlines to pressure the victim into taking action quickly. These scams can also use other emotional triggers. It doesn't have to be fear. It can also be delight or curiosity to entice the victim into engaging with the scam. 
for example, you want a prize, claim it now, and things like it's the last opportunity to do something. But the emotional manipulation tactics used in these scams are usually kind of short-term, and there's less intensity in the trust and in the emotional involvement in the scam. We also see that the amounts in these scams are smaller. To distinguish from those short-term scams, we see that Roman scams and investment scams and crypto scams are really designed carefully to build that trust, the long-term emotional connection with a victim. A romance scam could be months or years, right? Because they have to build a level of trust so the victim will actually transfer money to their loved one in case that something happens in order to buy a house where they're going to live together or to send them money so they can come over. All these things that they use are transfer money to their family members. A lot of tactics that they use, and they're typically driven by something that had happened, and it requires hand-holding, but you really need to build this over time. What's really also interesting is that in case of Roman schemes, there's also the element, uh, I would say, narcissism of isolation. They isolate them from their friends and family. They can say it's just you and me against the world and make them feel so special. It's kind of the love bombing of the narcissist that they use in order to make it harder for them to ask for help. When it comes to pig butchering crypto scams, it can be a matter of weeks or months, but what happens here is really interesting because on one hand, there's the relationship level of trust. It's not necessarily a romantic relationship. It could be a friendly relationship. It often starts with kind of a random text and creating that slowly, slowly that connection and a lot of mirroring like Chris described. But what's interesting here is that I think there are a lot of red flags that will come up along the way for the victims, but they might have that fear of letting go because if I see red flags and I think it might be a scam, which means that maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars of mine that are invested in this could all disappear. So it must not be a scam. It can't be a scam and I'm going to keep going because this has to be true. And I think that creates that devastating cycle of fear and belief and desire for this to be true. And in my conversation with Erin West, who is a district attorney in Santa Clara County, California, we talk about what she hears from victims and the devastation from these pig butchering scams. Is I remember one of the first victims I spoke to told me about this scam and how he liquidated his 401k. He liquidated his children's college accounts. And then one of the devastating parts of this scam is that when victims try to remove their money from the platform and cash out, they're told that they need to come up with another 20% of their money in fresh money to pay taxes. And so in this particular case, the victim had then taken out a loan on his house and he had lost over a million and a half dollars and his marriage was at risk his his mental health was at risk and it's a level of devastation that i really hadn't seen before in a victim to really see that he's lost everything he has cyber criminals are really creative in thinking about different types of scams that can be used in order to manipulate victims into transferring money to the scammers. It's important to understand that social engineering relies on 
exploiting our natural human weaknesses, our trust in authority, our desire for rewards, fear of consequences, the extortion scams where someone is told that there are pictures of them online or that they've been browsing sites that they shouldn't have been browsing, although they never did. That fear of consequences is also a strong one. And then our willingness to help, to help others. If it sounds like if we're good human beings, then we're most, we're most susceptible to being scammed. These scammers use psychological tactics to manipulate our behavior and create a sense of urgency, fear, leading us to make irrational decisions that we wouldn't have made in other circumstances. And that's why I keep saying it can happen to anyone, one moment off guard. I think by understanding social engineering, we can protect ourselves, but it's not enough. Even if we're more vigilant or more skeptical, and we always think, well, maybe this can be a scam, even then I believe people can be scammed. And I know I'm always skeptical, maybe too skeptical that I missed alerts from my bank, for real. It's not enough. The point of this whole session is one, to educate and to bring to light the complexity of it, but also to say, we need to speak about this more, we need to normalize it, and we need to let people know that it's normal and they should not feel ashamed and they should report it and they should seek help. And even if they are in a long-term relationship scam or investment scam, they should seek help and they should go and ask for help from authorities, help from law enforcement, report to government agencies and seek help from support groups. There are support groups out there that can help victims of romance scams, victims of investment scams, and victims of all types of scams. And I can put some links to resources in the show description as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think it's a really, really important topic to talk about. And please do share. If you enjoyed it, share with the friends and family, share with loved ones, and Follow me on LinkedIn for more information about online scams and what we can do about it. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the previous episode about the scam life cycle, and I want to thank all of the guests that popped into this episode as well that were on previous episodes of Scam Rangers. Have an amazing day.